You guys can have a seat. So I, I had a lot of freedom in choosing what to preach on for the next four weeks. And I spent the last few weeks praying and thinking and talking to everyone about what is it that we need? If I can preach on anything, completely blank slate, what is it that we as a people, as a family need above all else? And I kept coming back to this word, hope. We need hope. Why? Because we live in a world that is largely hopeless. I look out at this world, at the people of this world, and I see them living lives of utter hopelessness. They have nowhere to turn to find real, genuine, lasting hope. We have a crisis of hope in this country. We Americans, we are a people who are overworked, overweight, overwhelmed. We are short on money, short on time, short on friends. We're addicted to painkillers and social media and easy credit. We pretend to have it together online, but we know better. We are stumbling in the dark, unable to find hope. And so for the next four weeks, I want to talk about hope. How can you find real, genuine, lasting hope in the struggles of this life? And so here is where we're headed over the next four weeks. Today, we're going to talk about how do you find real, lasting hope in the midst of loneliness and loss. Next week, we'll talk about finding hope in the midst of discouragement and depression. The week after that, finding hope in the midst of fear and anxiety. Finally, finding hope in the midst of defeat and addiction. So this sermon series, it will be heavy, it will be serious, but it will be very practical. We'll talk about each of these realms of life. I know that many of us in this room, myself included, are struggling in many of these areas. And so how do we find hope in the midst of it. I'll walk you through each of those. So this morning we're going to start with loneliness and loss. How do we find hope in the midst of those things? Well, it's helpful to start with a little bit of a clarification just to make sure we're talking about the same thing. It's important to clarify that loneliness is not the same thing as being alone. Actually, being alone can be a good thing. Actually, all of us need some amount of time being alone, whether you're talking about time to to think or to read or to sleep or to use the restroom. You got to be alone sometimes. All of us need that. Some of us need more of it than others. Like me, for instance, I am an introvert. If you look up the definition of the word introvert in the dictionary, chances are good you will see my picture. I am like the king of the introverts, and I would draw all of you to myself, but I would rather stay alone at home and just let all of you stay alone in your own homes as well, because we introverts, we are charged by time alone. We need that to be healthy. That's part of how God designed us. So just to be real clear about that, some of you may have seen me around town eating lunch. If you see me at 40 Timbora and I'm eating lunch alone, please don't think to yourself, oh man, Blake looks so lonely. He looks so sad. I should go sit next to him and encourage him. No, I am doing just fine. In fact, having lunch by myself is one of my favorite things in life, especially if I have a good book. I love it because I'm an introvert. I need that time. Now, for you who are extroverts, you think that that's crazy. You would not ever want to be seen eating lunch alone in public. You can't imagine that. But here's the deal. You need time alone, too. You know you do. My wife is an extrovert. Julie loves to to chat with people. I think she could spend all day chatting to people, talking to people. She just loves it. And yet I've noticed even she needs time alone. 
It's just part of how God designed her. That's where she's recharged. You see that even in Jesus, the son of God who has infinite social energy. You may have noticed throughout the gospels, most days he had to wake up early and go off into nature alone to pray and prepare for his day. Because that's just how God designed it. We all need time alone. And so let me be really frank with you. If you have a hard time spending time alone with yourself, if that just feels very uncomfortable to you to ever be alone, if you always feel like you need to have other people around, that's a problem. You need to talk to a counselor about that. Because God designed you to need and to enjoy some amount of alone time. The amount will vary from person to person, but the need is universal. We all need time alone. That's not a bad thing. But that's not the same thing as loneliness. You can be lonely even when you are not alone. You can be lonely even when you're at an Aggie football game, surrounded by 100,000 other people. You may be sharing the same physical space as them, but if you feel isolated and removed or distant from them, then you're going to feel lonely. So here's one of the best definitions I've come across for this thing called loneliness. It was written by counselor and author Les Carter. He defines it this way. Loneliness is a feeling of separation, isolation, or distance in human relations. Loneliness implies emotional pain, an empty feeling, and a yearning to feel understood and accepted by someone. So so it's a feeling of isolation that you can have even when you're around other people. You can still feel that sense of, of loneliness. It's painful. It's difficult. Loneliness is a feeling you can have even when you're not alone. Now, I know that This isn't a very fun topic to talk about. This wasn't on my list of like, oh, I'm really excited to do this sermon. Even the word lonely sounds sad. Just phonetically, just the word sounds sad. For me, if somebody says the word lonely, what image comes to my mind? Well, I see myself in elementary school in the cafeteria. The word loneliness to me, it triggers memories of holding one of those plastic lunch trays with meatloaf on it, trying to make eye contact with anyone in the room who would let me sit by them. Now, here I am, an introvert. I'm fine doing life on my own, but being in that room and feeling like no one wanted to be my friend, that was really painful, even for me. Loneliness in elementary school, it made me feel like a loser. And that's actually one of the problems with the word phonetically. It's so close. Lonely. Loser. If there's anything that we learned in that cafeteria in elementary school, it was that losers are lonely. You look around and People who aren't losers, the cheerleaders, the jocks, the the class clowns, they're never lonely, right? They always have friends around. Well, actually, that's wrong. That's wrong. If you have ever felt alone, you are not actually alone. If you've ever felt lonely, you should know that you aren't alone in that feeling. Almost everyone has gone through or will go through times of intense loneliness. So let me give you some statistics. Here's some research I came across this week. 2016 Harris Poll. Almost three quarters, that's 75% of Americans, experience loneliness. Over 40% of Americans experience it regularly on an ongoing basis. Now, now you may think, well, okay, but that's about like teenagers and college students and single adults who are looking for a spouse. It's about them. No, no, actually it's not. Research is clear that feeling of intense loneliness spans all age groups, all stages of life, from little kids all the way up to the elderly, where it's really a problem these days. And it's true even for people who are married. Marriage doesn't take away loneliness. It's not some magic pill that makes it vanish. 
No, actually at all stages of life, men and women struggle with loneliness. And here's the thing that was really fascinating to me, really interesting. They did this same survey back in the 1980s among Americans, and they found that back in the 1980s, it was actually less than 20% of Americans who said that they struggle regularly with loneliness. Well, here we are almost 40 years later, and now we have cell phones and text messaging and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and all these ways to connect with one another. And yet the incidence of intense loneliness in our culture has more than doubled. To put it another way, in 1985, they asked Americans, how many close friends do you have in your life? In other words, how many people are there that you could tell anything? And the most common answer in 1985 was three. Did the same study in 2004. What was the most common answer? Zero. Zero. So that's led researchers to conclude loneliness is an invisible epidemic in American society right now. It's an invisible epidemic that touches everyone. It touches everyone everywhere. Now, This is church, so enough statistics. Let's talk about the Bible. Are there any examples of loneliness here among the great women and women in the pages of Scripture? Well, there's a few that come to mind. First, how about the first one, Adam? Okay, Because Genesis 2 tells us God looked at his creation and said, this is all very good with one exception. The man is lonely. That's not good. And so God brings him every animal to see if any animal could take away that feeling of loneliness. No, he couldn't. Because God understood that for Adam to to be lonely, to to be cut off from any human interaction, that was a bad thing. That's not a statement you understand about, oh, he needs a wife. No, it's much bigger than that. It's a universal truth that humans not having connections with other humans is a bad thing. Okay, So Adam struggled with loneliness. Joseph, at the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph is left in prison, abandoned by his brothers, forgotten by everyone. He dealt with intense loneliness. Naomi, in the book of Ruth, her husband and her sons die, and she is so lonely that she renames herself. She gives herself the name Mara, which in Hebrew means bitter. Can you imagine introducing yourself to someone? Hi, I'm bitter. And that's like Debbie Downer. Why? Because she's just so crushed by loneliness. She really struggled with it. Jeremiah, one of the greatest prophets in the Bible, he was chosen by God to be prophet to the nation of Judah in a really bad time. And God said to, Judah, to Jeremiah, you're, you are not going to get married. You're not going to have kids. You're not going to have close friends at all. Because I'm calling you to this lonely ministry. And Jeremiah struggled so deeply with that loneliness that actually in the book, he tells God he wishes he was dead. He wishes God had never allowed him to be born. He hates loneliness of life so much. How about in the New Testament? The great apostle Paul wrote a ton of your New Testament. Well, we're told towards the end of his life, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he's taken to Rome to stand trial before the emperor. And he says, all abandoned me. Everyone deserted me. No one stood with me. Even Paul knew loneliness. And how about Jesus? Did Jesus experience loneliness in Scripture? Well, when things turned bad for Jesus and he got arrested, how many of his friends stood with him? Zero. All ran away. And when he hung on the cross, what were some of the last words that he said? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was abandoned by God himself. That doesn't even happen to you on your worst day. So Jesus knows loneliness better than any human being ever has. 
He was utterly alone, cut off from every human being and even God himself. And so if you think that loneliness is only for losers, you're wrong and you're calling Jesus a loser and that's never a good idea. Loneliness is something that touches all of our lives. You either have been lonely or you will be lonely or you know someone who's lonely. It affects all of us. And and here's why that matters. More research. 2016 New York Times article. A wave of new research suggests that social separation, that is loneliness, is bad for us. Individuals with less social connection have disrupted sleep patterns, altered immune systems, more inflammation, and higher levels of stress hormones. Isolation increases the risk of heart disease by 29% and stroke by 32%. Socially isolated individuals had a 30% higher risk of dying in the next seven years, and this effect was largest in middle age. Or to put it another way. Social isolation, that is loneliness, is as potent a cause of early death as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness is twice as deadly as obesity, dementia, high blood pressure, alcoholism, accidents, depression, paranoia, anxiety, and suicide become more prevalent when connections are cut. Or in summary form... Prominent 2015 study concluded, the single biggest health threat facing middle-aged men like myself today is loneliness. Loneliness is literally killing us and the people we care about. It is a health crisis facing our country of epidemic proportions. And so we've got to talk about how do you deal with With this thing that affects so many of us. How do you find hope in the midst of that crushing loneliness that is killing people around us? Well, I want to talk to you first about what hope is. Got to make sure that we understand what the word means if we're going to try to get some. You want to find hope. You got to know what hope is. And that's a complicated question because the word hope means something different in English than it does in the Bible. Okay, the, the words are different. So the English word hope, what does that mean? Well, it's a desire for something uncertain in the future to happen. Hope in English is a wish. So if you're single and you're bothered by that and you want to have a spouse, then hope means you're wishing for a spouse. It means you want something to happen in the future that would be nice, but you don't know if it's going to happen. And, and it's a good thing to have that kind of hope. English hope is, is fine. It's good to have that, but it's insufficient. Why? Because you have no guarantees. God never promised he's going to give you a spouse in the future. God never promised he's going to give you a friend in the future. You can't control those circumstances and God hasn't promised to fix them for you. So English hope is uncertain hope. It's hope you can't count on. It won't stand with you in the midst of the struggles of life. You need something better. You need biblical hope. So the word hope in both Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament, what does it mean? Well, biblical hope is confidence. It is confidence that you will be okay because God will take care of you. Biblical hope is is assurance that God is present in your life and that he will take care of you. He will watch over you. He will be with you and he will make the future okay because he's promised to take care of you. 
That's biblical hope. That's a, a better hope. It's based on certainty. It's stable. It's not based on circumstances that could change and that you can't control. So I want to help you find that kind of biblical hope, that strong, certain, trustworthy confidence in God that can strengthen you when you struggle with loneliness. Where do you find biblical hope in the midst of loneliness and loss? Four steps. It's where we get really practical. So if you're dealing with loneliness or you know someone who is or you do in the future, here's the four things you need to do to find genuine, lasting hope in the midst of that loneliness and loss. First thing you got to do, step number one, you got to admit it and grieve it. Here's a problem that I came across in my research on loneliness. Researchers are finding that loneliness is an especially tricky problem because accepting and declaring our loneliness carries profound stigma. Admitting we're lonely can feel as if we're admitting we failed in life's most fundamental domains. Belonging, love, attachment. It attacks our basic instincts to save face. And that makes it hard to ask for help. Admitting you're lonely feels very much like admitting you're a loser. Psychiatry has worked hard to destigmatize things like depression. And to a large part, it has been successful. People are comfortable saying they're depressed But they're not comfortable saying they're lonely because then you're the kid sitting alone in the cafeteria. We don't want to admit that we're lonely, even though we know from research that almost all of us are, either now or at some point soon in the future. That's especially true of men. Guys, we don't want to tell other guys, hey, I'm lonely. Why? Because it feels weak. It feels like we're losers if we tell other guys, hey, I'm lonely. That's interesting because what do you see of the great manly men in the Bible? Did they try to protect themselves in the midst of loneliness? Well, here's King David. He's kind of a stud, if you've read about him. We talked about him a little bit last week. He killed a giant with a, with a stone when he was a little kid. He killed bears and, and lions and tigers. Incredible military genius. Led Israel at, at, at the height of its military power. Well, David felt lonely, and so here's what he wrote in Psalm 25. Turn to me, speaking to God, and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. I want you to think about that for a moment. David was willing to admit his loneliness, not just to himself, not just to God, but he wrote it down so that billions of people would know for all time that David was lonely. In other words, David was manly enough not to try to hide his loneliness. He wasn't ashamed of it. He wasn't embarrassed about being lonely. He was honest. He was open. So when to say, here it is. I am lonely and I need God to know it and I need you all to know it that I'm struggling with loneliness. You see that of all the great men and women in scripture. Jeremiah didn't hide it. He confesses it. Elijah confesses it. Paul confesses it. Jesus himself, who is as manly as it gets, openly admitted that he was lonely in the garden. So why do we try to hide it? When we try to hide our loneliness, we make it so much harder to find healing or hope. Healing and hope can't grow in a soil of shame and hiding. You have to bring it out into the light if you're going to find the hope that you need to make it through this life. You've got to be willing to say that I'm struggling with this. So we've got to be willing to admit our loneliness. And not only that, we've got to be willing to admit that it hurts. Don't don't be some kind of stud who's like, I'm lonely, but it's no big deal, whatever. No. You got to be willing to do what David and Jeremiah and Paul and Jesus did. You got to weep over it. You got to grieve it and say, this is not good. How do you know it's not good? Because God himself said it. Do you realize that God hates your loneliness as much as you do? 
Because God looked at it as beautiful creation. He said, all of this is good except loneliness. That's not good. I don't like it. God doesn't like it either when you're lonely. So he wants you to to admit that and confess to other people. Man, I'm lonely and it hurts. This is awful. You've got to be open and honest about that. That's where healing begins. So I encourage you, if you are feeling lonely and you haven't been talking to other people about it, that's got to change. That's step number one. It's non-negotiable. You need to be willing to talk to your spouse because loneliness happens in marriage all the time. You've got to be willing to talk to a parent, to, to your friend, your roommate, to a coworker, to someone you trust. You can always come talk to a pastor or one of us who work here at the church. You can talk to a counselor. If you've been struggling with loneliness for a while, that actually could be a really good step. Sit down with a biblical counselor who can walk you through not just the fact that you feel lonely, but maybe why. What's going on? What's led to this? A counselor can help you process it and think it through. If you're, if you're lonely and it's because of some acute situation, maybe you're feeling great loneliness because you just lost your spouse or you lost a friend or you lost a child. In that case, talk to a counselor, but also consider joining one of our recovery groups here at Grace Bible Church. We have groups called grief share groups that encourage one another in the midst of dealing with grief. We have celebrate recovery groups that help people as they are walking through a process of recovery after something like maybe divorce or something like that. Help, help them find hope and peace and encouragement together in the midst of it. You can sign up for a grief share or celebrate recovery group this morning in the foyer. It's the first table on your left. Just go there, put your name down. We'd love to get you into one of those groups where you can find hope with other people dealing with loss. You've got to be willing to admit and grieve over the loneliness you feel. It is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of strength modeled throughout Scripture for you. Second step in finding hope in the midst of loneliness. Turn to Scripture. Now, no kidding, this is church. Of course we're going to turn to Scripture. We're going to talk about how the Bible gives us hope. But it's important to clarify right at the beginning, this book is not some magic wand that you wave to shoo away your loneliness. It's not how it works. It's not some magic pill that makes feelings of loneliness go away. You don't have that kind of promise in this book. Now, this book, what is it? Well, it doesn't necessarily make loneliness go away, but it is a strong foundation that you can stand on in the midst of your loneliness. That's what scripture does for you. It gives strength to your legs so that you can stand when life is hard. So you spend time in this book because it helps you to endure when waves of loneliness assault you. So we see that throughout scripture that the great men and women of the Bible, when they struggled with times of loneliness, they stood strong by turning to to truth in, in scripture, particularly truths about the character of God. Scripture about God's goodness, his power, his generosity, his love, his faithfulness. Those verses can give you strength when you struggle with loneliness. So here's Jeremiah's example. He struggled intensely with loneliness. In the midst of that, he says to himself, he reminds himself, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. I think Jeremiah is quoting this scriptural truth to himself to remind himself, hey, Jeremiah, God is strong enough to sustain you in the midst of your utter loneliness. God is enough for you. He's just reminding himself of that. You see the same thing in Psalms. Here's how the psalmist put it in Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? 
And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Psalmist is telling himself truths about God. And the thing that I love about Psalms, I don't know if you know this, the Psalms are songs. So they were written to be sung. And what happens when you sing something, you remember it. So you're driving in your car and all of a sudden song lyrics come to your mind. You can't even get them out of your head. They're just stuck there because that's how music works. And so all of Psalms was written to become music that's stuck in your head. The whole point is you're walking from one place to another and Psalms are playing in your head. So you are remembering that God is good, that he is for you, that he is your refuge. And so I encourage you, if you're struggling with loneliness, what do you need to do? You need to turn to scripture, read scripture, and more importantly, memorize scripture. You need to memorize portions of this book so that they play in your head over and over again. Okay, what particular passages? Well, that's up to you, between you and God. For me in my life, I've said this before, it's Psalm 23. When I feel discouraged, depressed, lonely, I quote Psalm 23 to myself over and over and over again. Again, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for the sake of his reputation. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they they comfort me. You've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I quote that to myself over and over and over and over again. Not like some kind of empty Buddhist chant, but as a declaration of truth about God. So by memorizing it and quoting it, it sinks into my soul and gives me strength to stand on when loneliness hits. doesn't make the loneliness vanish. That's not how it works. But it gives me strength to endure. Okay, so you've got to bathe your mind in Scripture. You've got to read it and you've got to memorize it and you've got to quote it over and over again to yourself. Scripture about how good and loving God is. Third step, to find hope in the midst of loneliness. Improve yourself. What do I mean by that? Well... When we think about why are we lonely, there can be a lot of reasons why we deal with a season of loneliness in our lives. Sometimes it's circumstantial and it's out of our control. You move to a new town, of course you feel lonely. You, you lost your spouse, of course you feel lonely. You work freelance from home and never hang around anybody, of course you feel lonely. You can't necessarily do anything about those circumstances. But sometimes seasons of loneliness are caused by behaviors that we do get to choose. It's always the uncomfortable part of the sermon where we have to kind of face up to the fact that sometimes the reason we don't have a lot of friends in our lives is because we're not very friendly people. Because people don't want to be around us. Because maybe we have some habits or some ways of relating to others that make people uncomfortable or just they don't want to be around us. And so the, the reality is, actually, that's all of us. If we'll be real honest with each other, we all have antisocial tendencies that make it hard for other people to relate to us. And the Bible calls that sin. Yeah, you're a sinner. So am I. And that sin in our lives, it hurts other people and it pushes them away and it makes relationships hard. Now, here's the good news. Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead so that all the guilt of sin can be taken away. And all you have to do is say yes to Jesus. Say, I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. And the guilt of your sin is removed that instant. But the consequences are not. 
Salvation removes guilt, not consequences. So the consequence is still there. When you say or do things that hurt other people, the consequence is those people don't want to be around you anymore. And so we can use seasons of loneliness in our lives as an opportunity to try to grow, to try to improve ourselves, to be better friends, a better family to other people. So what particular ways do you need to grow in? Well, there's a ton of ways that the Bible gives you. A lot of this book is about how we grow as friends and family towards other people. I'm just going to mention a couple in particular. When you struggle with seasons of loneliness, what can you be working on? Well, number one, I would encourage you to use that season of loneliness to learn to love yourself. That probably sounds hokey to a lot of you. When I first wrote that line in my PowerPoint slides, I thought to myself, Dadgum, that sounds really hokey. But here's the deal. Researchers concluded that the most promising line of treatment for loneliness is individual therapy that addresses the thought patterns and beliefs, such as low self-esteem or shame, that prevent a person from connecting with others. Often the reason that you are lonely, that you are cut off from relationships with other people, isn't about other people, it's about you. It's about the fact that you don't love yourself, you don't value yourself, you don't like yourself. You have shame in your heart, you have low self-esteem, you don't like yourself, and the result is you don't have love to give to other people. So what does God want to do for you in the midst of that? Well, God wants you, again, to turn to his word. I actually love, love that the Bible, from the very first page, spends so much time telling us how worthwhile we are. Throughout the Bible, you have so many verses dedicated to increasing your self-esteem by showing you how wonderful you are. Let me just give you a few examples. We won't even make it out of the Old Testament. Genesis 1.26, God said, this first page of the Bible, right at the beginning. Let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. From page one of the Bible, God wants you to know you, every single one of you, No matter how intelligent you are, how beautiful you are, how wealthy you are, how popular you are, every one of you was made in the image of Almighty God so that you can rule the universe. That's that's the purpose of your life. That's what you are, an image bearer of God designed to rule all of creation. Talk about value. There's no religion that puts humans on a higher pedestal than Christianity. You're made in the image of God, loved by God, designed to rule creation with God. Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You are crowned with glory and honor, and that is truth. It's objective. It doesn't matter whether you feel it or not. You don't have to spend your life trying to accrue glory and honor for yourself. You already have it in the eyes of God. You were designed with it. You were made with it. God has crowned you with glory and honor. Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. That's true of you whether you feel it or not. You were wonderfully made. You were knit together by God Almighty in your mother's womb. He knows everything about you. He did all of it for a reason. He values you. You are worthwhile in the eyes of God. And so sometimes we Christians, we get down on this concept of self-esteem. But actually, God is an incredible fan of self-esteem so long as it's found in the truths of this book.
God wants you to love yourself. Why? Because if you love yourself, then you are free to love others. So long as you are bound up by shame and self-hatred, you can't love other people. You're too caught up here. God wants to set you free from shame, from from low self-esteem, so that you can step out and become incredible friends with other people. So God wants you to love yourself. That's not a hokey thing. That's a very biblical thing. He wants you to know how incredibly wonderful, valuable, and loved you are, whether you feel it or not. So that's the first step. You can use this season of loneliness to grow in your ability to love yourself. And if you find that very difficult to do, let me strongly, strongly encourage you to talk to a counselor or a pastor. Come, come talk to one of us, a counselor in particular, because it may be that a counselor can help you unpack. Why do you have these feelings of low self-esteem? Why do you have these feelings of shame? Let's, let's look at that and think about that. And let's bring biblical truth to that so that you can see yourself as God sees you. So that then you can be free to love other people. Okay, so learn to love yourself. Second step to, to do during this time of loneliness. Learn to listen better. James 1.19, which I've quoted before and will quote many times, uh, says, Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's very simplistic and yet so true. The secret to winning friends and influencing people is just learning to listen. Learning to to listen better, to grow as a listener, to listen before you speak. It's been said, well, God gave you two ears and one mouth, so use them in proportion. Spend more time listening than speaking. Here's how one researcher put it. The secret to making friends is don't be interesting. Be interested. Because no one wants to spend time with that guy who can't stop talking about himself and how awesome he is. Who wants that? No way. Who do they want to spend time with? Someone who thinks they're awesome. Someone who wants to know more about them. Someone who asks them questions. Who wants to know what they're passionate about. What their life story is. If you'll become that kind of person who is engaging with others. Who's, who's fascinated with other people. Interested in other people. Asking other people questions. And people will want to be around you. The better you are at listening, the more people are going to want to be your friend. I know that sounds simplistic. It is simple. But it is incredibly powerful and true. Become a better listener. And you will make more friends. So use this season of loneliness in your life to become the kind of person people want to be around more. To become a better friend and family member to other people. Finally, step four. How do you find hope in the midst of loneliness? Keep initiating with others. Keep stepping out and initiating with new people, trying to make new friends. Now, here's the, here's the funny thing. Julie and I were talking about this this week. I, I think it occurred to both of us as we were talking about and thinking through this subject of loneliness. Feelings of loneliness, at least for short duration, can actually be a good thing. It can actually be a gift from God. Why? Because they're painful and pain motivates. You see, it's actually really hard to make friends. Some of you, it's really easy. Great. God bless you. You're not like the rest of us. For most of us, it's hard to make new friends, and it gets harder the older we get. Actually, research is clear on that. As we get grown up, it becomes incredibly hard to make new friends. Our lives are just too busy and complex. And so if it's hard to make friends, then if there was no pain behind loneliness, what would we do? I would sit on my couch and watch Netflix all the time. Choose the easy path. That's what most of us would do. And so God allowed loneliness to sting just enough. To motivate us to get up off the couch and keep initiating with new people. That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to keep initiating with new people. Keep meeting new people. Even when it's hard. Even when they reject you. I know that's incredibly hard. 
You try to meet new people, you try to initiate with new people, and they aren't interested. You're you're the mom, and you go pick up kids, your kids at the school, and every day you are trying to meet a new woman. You're trying to get to know somebody new. You're asking them questions, you're initiating, and nothing ever comes of it. Or you're the person who's always calling, always emailing, always texting other people. Hey, do you want to hang out? You're always reaching out there and trying to initiate, and no one ever returns your call or your message. That hurts. It's incredibly painful. In the midst of that pain, so many people in our world respond to that rejection by giving up on relationships and satisfying themselves with cheap substitutes. See this all the time, everywhere you look. For some people, they choose the cheap substitute of social media and the internet. Nothing wrong with social media and the internet. It can actually be a tool to, to continue a relationship once you've built it, but it's not a substitute. For real face-to-face, in-the-flesh relationships. Because God designed us in the flesh to do life with other people. And if all of your relationships are confined to social media and internet, you are not in relationship with other people. Uh, Second example, some people, they give up on trying to find a, a real deep relationship with someone of the opposite sex. And they just satisfy themselves with hookup culture. I, I can't find someone who really loves me, so I'll just comfort myself with cheap sex. It's actually been really interesting over about the last year, even a lot of secular counselors and and psychologists and researchers who have no moral problems with premarital sex, even they are coming out strongly against hookup culture. Why? Because they're finding that it leaves people empty and hollow and broken. It uses them up as sex objects and destroys them in the process. So don't choose that substitute. Some people, they give up on relationships and they just try to dull the pain with, with TV and, and internet and video games and pornography and alcohol, whatever they can do to take away the pain. And if you've ever chosen that path, you know that the pain may recede for a little bit and then it comes back stronger than ever. Why? Because God designed you to need human relationships and there is no substitute. You, you go out trying to, trying to find something else. To satisfy that need in your life, nothing will work. God designed it that way. you got to have deep, genuine, meaningful relationships with other human beings. So if you don't have those, don't embrace cheap substitutes. Instead, keep initiating. Keep getting off the couch and going and meeting new people. Now, in the midst of doing that, you're going to have some really bad days. You're going to have those moments where you feel like no one likes you. No one wants to be your friend. Everyone's rejecting you. What do you do in the midst of those moments? I would encourage you with two biblical truths. When you feel utterly rejected, like no one wants to be your friend, I want you first to remind yourself that Jesus completely understands rejection. You see, Jesus did the greatest act ever. He died for the human race. No one's ever done anything better for someone than that. He died for the human race, and yet billions of people spend their entire lives saying, no, I'm not interested in that. Thanks anyways to him. He's been rejected by far more people than you have. He's constantly reaching out in love to the world, and the world keeps saying, no, leave us alone. Don't want that. He understands rejection firsthand. What does that mean? He empathizes with you. When you turn to Jesus, you're not turning to some kind of deity up here in the sky who is completely removed. No, he understands completely firsthand what you're feeling. He's with you in that pain. Okay, so remember, Jesus knows this pain of rejection better than you do. Second truth I want you to remind yourself with. Jesus is honored regardless of the response. 
When you initiate with someone new, when you reach out to them to get to know them, even if they totally shut you down, they totally reject you, I want you to know that Jesus was honored and God was pleased by the mere fact that you tried. Why? Because that's what God does. Right? You trust in a God who initiates. That's like one of the fundamental things about your God. He's a God who always takes the first step. He is always initiating. You see that first John Chapter 4, verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We didn't love God first. We didn't take the first step. No, God took the first step towards us. While we did not love him, while we were his enemies, he chose to love us so much that he gave his son who willingly died for us. So God is always taking the first step. So when you take the first step and someone shuts you down, guess what? You honored God just by taking that first step because you acted like God and God is always pleased when his children act like him. So you're pleasing God. That that was an inherently good, eternally valuable thing that you did when you initiated with that new person. Even if they shut you down, God will be pleased with that and will reward you in eternity for it. He loves when you initiate, even if people don't respond, because that's what he does. Always initiating, even when people don't respond. So the initiative you took was good. Remind yourself, comfort yourself with that biblical truth. So keep initiating. Don't embrace cheap substitutes. Keep getting off the couch. Keep meeting new people. Let me give you three places you can go to meet new people. Practical ideas. Number one, find a place to serve. Men, this is particularly true for us. Men tend to bond by doing stuff together. And so I encourage you to find some place in the church or in the community where you can serve with other men. For me in college, one of the really defining moments, I remember this really clearly, was going out to serve at Habitat for Humanity. Got up on a roof and was pounding nails into a roof with other guys. And it was like a really awesome bonding moment for us. We were doing something good together. As we built that house, I encourage you, go look for those kind of opportunities to serve with other people in the church or in the community. You'll build friends through that. Second idea that you can do is take up a new hobby. I think sometimes hobbies get a bad rap. They're divine gifts. Hobbies are awesome. God gives us hobbies to challenge us in new ways and gives us opportunities to bond with new people that maybe you would have never otherwise met. People you don't work with, you don't live with, but you're united by some shared hobby. That's beautiful. So pursue some new hobby, learn some new skill, and you'll build friends through that. Third, join a small group. I hope that you recognize that this is, I'm glad you're here, but it's a big room. You you can be in the middle of this room and feel completely lonely because you're really not connecting with the people around you. You need some small group with other believers where you're doing life together and encouraging one another and praying for one another. So if you don't have a Christian small group right now that you're part of, today is the day. As you go out in the foyer, there's tables all through that room. Find a table and sign up for a small group. There's lots of different kinds. There's home groups that meet in homes. There's groups that meet at the church. There's college groups, youth groups. There's recovery groups, marriage groups, marriage preparation groups, all kinds of small groups where you can join with others and find encouragement and comfort in the midst of life. So I, I'm going to pray for you. And if you are dealing with loneliness, then I just want you to receive this prayer. If you're not dealing with loneliness, then I want you to think about yourself praying this prayer for somebody you know who is struggling with loneliness, okay? Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that you have not left us alone in the universe. 
Instead, you took on flesh, Lord Jesus, and you came and you did life with us. And you gave your life for us. And you rose from the dead to free us from sin. And now you've welcomed us into the family of God so that we get to call God Father. And he calls us his children. And we praise you for that. We praise you that we are not alone. That through faith in Jesus, we're part of the family of God. Yet even though we know that truth, often in this life we feel incredibly lonely. It's just like a a common thing in this modern world. Lord, so many of us are dealing with that. And so, Lord, I want to lift up anyone here who is struggling with loneliness. I pray that today that they would understand that Jesus perfectly understands what they're going through. That he empathizes with them because he's experienced that same utter loneliness too. I pray that they would know that when they reach out towards someone and that person rejects them, that just the mere fact that they reached out to someone honored you and pleased you. I pray, God, that they would know that even if other people have have turned them down, that still you love them, that they are valuable, that they are wonderfully made. I pray, Lord, that you would drive away shame or low self-esteem in their lives and you would help them to see themselves as you see them. I pray, God, that through your word, they would find strength in the midst of their loneliness and through that strength that they would keep initiating with others and that you would bring the season of loneliness to an end by bringing good, deep friendships into their lives. Lord, for all of us, we pray that you would help us to look out for one another, to lift up the weak, to come beside those who are lonely, to love them sacrificially, and to form a family that pleases you and shows the world what love looks like. We pray that there would be hope and healing in this place for all who deal with loneliness and loss. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Next week, we'll talk about depression.